Luke chapter 2. We're into our second Sunday of Advent. Kevin, thank you for that reading. Doug, thank you for the week before and the opening prayer. Cecil, thanks for leading our prayer request time. It's such, it's just such a treasure to come in here on Sunday morning and see you all and just take a little time at the beginning to care for each other. I like it. And everybody said, there we go. All right. We'll be all right. Luke chapter eight. I'm going to read eight through 20. But before I do that, let me pray one more time. Let's go to the Lord. Our Father, we come before you this morning and we just want to acknowledge before we go any further, um, though we have been tuned up by worship and by time of prayer and already time in your word, there's nobody in this room that doesn't have a heart problem. Um, We're weighed down with the cares and distractions of life the responsibilities that we have, things that got left untended this week. We come in here with the, the leftovers of the guilt and stain of sin preoccupying our minds and weighing us down. We come in here with relationships that are um, in some cases broken, in some cases just strained, in some cases um, We're fearful that our relationships might be strained or broken. God, we come in here divorced, remarried, in love, out of love. We come in here with kids that um, we're fearful for. We come in here with grandkids we're not sure about. And then on top of that, there's a whole bunch of people who aren't here that we're concerned about. So we just want to ask, Holy Spirit, would you please, in the next few moments, even while I finish this prayer, would you move in this room and draw us to yourself, bring our focus to the matchless and wonderful name and person, Jesus Christ. Help us to lay aside these distractions and encumbrances and behold the Lamb of God slain so that we might be redeemed from sin. We realize, God, that all of life's difficulties are not dealt with, are not done away with in, in, in time. But we have so much to be thankful for in the King of Kings. So would you help us to focus on him? We ask for this in Jesus' name and God's people said, Amen. Amen. Okay, Luke chapter 2 verse 8 says, In the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. The glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a great multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. 
And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Um, Obviously, I've skipped over a significant part of the uh, Christmas narrative um, right past the birth of Jesus, and it's only Sunday, December 5th. But rest assured, we'll come back to that part. Um, I wanted to move right into this shepherd narrative because I think there are some nuggets here that... we blow right past and don't even take note of. I think there's some things that we can learn from these shepherds. And uh, it's a good place to start uh, preparing your heart for Christmas. So if you look at verse 8 and 9, it says in the same region, well, that's Bethlehem. There were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. The glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. There's a lot of reasons If you're out at night and an angel of the Lord appears and the glory of the Lord shines around you, there's a lot of reasons why you might be afraid. But what I want to do is get us into the mindset of a shepherd near Bethlehem a couple thousand years ago. And the best way I can do that, um, at great insult to anybody that lives southeast of here, is to say, imagine that it's the middle of the night and you're in a back alley in Plattsmith, you know, doing whatever people do behind bars and back alleys in Plattsmouth. And there's a great light that breaks forth from heaven and an angel shows up. And as you're flicking your cigarette butt and trying to hide your bottle of booze behind you and trembling with fear, the angel says, don't be afraid. Because that's about the situation here. Shepherds in in the time when Jesus was born were uh, not highly thought of or valued members of society. These were the meth heads of the district for sure. So if you've ever seen Cops or some equally riveting show about how our fine men and women in blue take on uh, the dregs of society, one of the most disturbing things that I see or have seen on that show is when a police officer encounters a poor drug-addled uh, you know, alcoholic addict, and this person has just committed a crime. Can you imagine this? Like, you, we've all seen this, right? Yes. Yeah. There we go. I'm going to get you engaged before we get out of here. We'll stay all day if we have to. The thing that I find interesting is every time one of these folks is confronted by authority, their instinct is, number one, to be afraid, because they usually run, or if they don't run, what do they do? They lie. Their lips start moving and they start lying. Oh, I'm not, no, huh, everything's fine. And we watch as fine you know, citizens in society and, and judge these folks because they're so lowly and pathetic. And you know, we would never be in that situation. Never mind, it's the grace of God that all of us aren't in that situation, no. right? That's a shepherd. That's how they viewed shepherds. The way we look at the, the, you know, the scabbed over toothless meth head, that's how people in Jesus' time viewed shepherds. These shepherds would not even have even been allowed to testify in court because they were such notorious liars, their testimony couldn't be depended on. So they were just 
precluded from that. They weren't allowed to participate in that. These were not people that anyone had a high opinion of. They weren't allowed in the temple because they were constantly interacting with dead animals, and that made them unclean permanently. So these weren't religious elite worshipers of God. These are the dregs of society. These are the scum of the earth. And they're out tending their flock one night, and an angel shows up, breaks through the sky, and says, don't be afraid. Look at Matthew chapter 9. Do you ever do the thing where you don't have a spot marked in your Bible and you turn to it in one flip? That just happened to me. Praise God. I just wanted to share that with you. Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And Matthew rose and followed him. All right, so I've dogged shepherds. Let me, let me talk about tax collectors for just a minute. And many of you, I know most of you probably already know this stuff, but not everybody does. So praise God that you've been taught well if you already know it. But if not, listen, this is an interesting thing to consider. I don't like the IRS. No, you know, red-blooded American does, right? So we think we understand how the Pharisees felt about tax collectors, but we don't. We don't understand how anybody felt about tax collectors in Jesus' day. You have to think about it in terms of you're living in an occupied country. You are the citizen of a nation which has been taken over by another superior nation in, in terms of wealth and power. All right. So imagine that somebody in this room that you love and care for and trust is enlisted by that occupying nation to collect money from you to finance the occupation of your country by that country. So imagine Rick gets taken into service by the city of Springfield to collect money from you. And that's not bad enough. Rick goes on to collect a little bit more from you for himself and then doesn't give Springfield everything that he's supposed to give them so that your character and name are besmirched by him. And he does this to everybody. How long is Rick going to be welcome in our midst at our family gatherings if he does something like that? On top of that, you have to remember that when Rome occupied a new area, a new town, it was not uncommon for them to take from that town the strongest warriors and men and crucify them along the road leading into the town. So if you just got taken over, as you're going in and out, what you're going to see is a line sometimes stretching for a mile of people that you know dying slowly on a cross going into your town in order to make a statement don't you dare try to oppose us. And now somebody that you know, a brother or sister or you know, neighbor, is working for those people, collecting money from you for those people. So when Jesus walks by Matthew and says, you follow me, you get a sense of how that might have made you feel if you weren't Matthew or one of the other twelve. Verse 10 says, as Jesus reclined at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners 
came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to the disciples, look, this is a really good question. We would ask the same question, right? Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So shepherds weren't allowed in the temple. They couldn't offer testimony in court. These were not highly thought of people. They were the lowest of the low. But this passage in Matthew 9 points something out to us. The angel, like, he's not up with God in heaven, wherever that is, at the throne. And the Lord says, uh, whichever angel this is, hey, I want you to go down and just find some people and tell them that my son has been born and they can find him in a manger in Bethlehem. So the angel goes down and it just so happens that the first person that he sees is a shepherd. That's not what happens here. What happens here is God sovereignly, lovingly directs this angel to these shepherds to tell them these words. Don't fear, for I'm bringing really good news for you of great joy. This is news for you guys specifically. He appears to the dregs of society because that's where God wants him to go. Now, what does that tell you about your access to the gospel? You don't get to sit here and think the gospel's not for me. I'm too evil. I'm not worth it. God can't possibly love me. Even before Jesus spoke a word, God was demonstrating that his heart for sinners was one all full of grace. Thank God for that. Verse 10, back in Luke 2. The angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you this day in the city of David is born a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. <clears throat> when my children were born, I don't, I don't know when this happened. I know when my children were born, but I don't know when this thing happened. I know that there used to be birth announcements in the paper, right? Back in the day. We didn't do that. Um, I was too busy fighting with my mother-in-law about something right after the last one was born. But if we did birth announcements, um, and it was all her fault, not mine, of course. Uh, if we did birth announcements, then it would have said, in, and this would have been in late October 2009, it would have said, uh, born to Lisa and James Tyler is Audrey Marie and she's followed or preceded in birth by her brother Samuel and her sister Kate. And, and the date would have been October 23rd, right? If you had a birth announcement for your kids, it would have said, born unto, put your name in here, and then your kid's name. But when this angel from God shows up to make the birth announcement, look at what it says. Unto you is born this day. 
So the angel shows up to the dregs of society, the lowest of the low, and he says, don't be afraid, for unto you is born a Savior, the Son of God. The angel should have said, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for Mary and Joseph. For unto Mary is born a son, and Joseph as her caretaker. That's not what happens, and it's not an accident. So we all know the song, right? For unto us a child is born, for unto us a son is given. This is who Christ the Savior came for, us, you, whatever your status or situation. If you still draw breath today, this Savior was born for you, if you would only believe. Verse 12 I'm going to try to speed things up here. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes or cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. It's interesting to me to consider... um, where God shows up all through the Bible. In, in the earlier part, after the fall, obviously, he shows up to Noah in a vision. He shows up to um, Abraham and Isaac and Joseph in visions and dreams, sometimes in an audible voice. He's a powerful wrestler with Jacob. They wrestle through the night until finally the angel of the Lord dislodges or dislocates Jacob's hip. He's in a burning bush in Moses. That's new. We hadn't seen that one yet until you get to Exodus 3 and you see this burning bush and the voice of the Lord speaks to Moses from it. He's in a pillar of cloud when the Israelites reach the Red Sea that prevents Egypt's army from attacking while the sea is separated and they pass through on dry land. He's in a pillar of fire leading the people by day around the wilderness. So just thinking about where God shows up, he's in the Holy of Holies in the temple. The Shekinah glory of God existed there with the Ark of the Covenant. Where do we see God? Where does he show up in the Bible? He's in a whisper to Elijah. He's the all-consuming fire for David, and he is an infant in a manger on Christmas. The last place you'd expect to see God. A little baby, helpless, in a stable, wrapped in swaddling clothes. What if Jesus had showed up where he belonged? Look at verse 15 and 16. The angels went away from them into heaven, and the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. But but what, what if the angels had showed up to these shepherds and Jesus was where he belonged? It, just in condescending terms, Jesus comes to earth and he's where he belonged. The angels would have said to the shepherds, hey, I bring you great news of exceeding joy that unto you this day has been born a savior, the son of God, and you will find him in the most magnificent palace on the face of the planet, surrounded by a heavenly host and all the best people on earth. What would the shepherds have said after the angels departed? 
let us not go and see him because there's no way we're getting in. But he's a baby in a manger in a stable so that these dregs of society would have access to him so that they could see him. This is the condescension of Christ to you and to me. He's made himself accessible to you and to me. This is the kindness of God in the gospel, the worst of sinners. And it's a sign for us, right, that he was born in a manger, in a stable. Why is it a sign for us? Because there's not a person in this room that would have the audacity, a bunch of people tried it on January 6th, to, to like go into Congress uninvited. We wouldn't do it. And if the Son of God appeared in the highest places in our country, we would not bother seeing him. But here, we could, if we could go down the street to the, one of those barns down there and see him there, we'd go in a heartbeat, wouldn't we? Verse 17, when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And when the shepherds returned, they glorified God and praised him for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. It's interesting to consider how everyone found out what was happening in Bethlehem. Mary found out from an angel that she was going to have this baby. So if I'm Mary and I get told nine months ago by an angel, hey, you're going to have a baby, even though you've never done the things required to have a baby and everybody's going to judge you because you're not married yet. But don't fear Mary because the Holy Spirit's going to overshadow you and you're going to be with this child and Joseph's going to stick with you. And then Joseph gets a dream from the Lord and the Lord tells him, hey, stay with her. And then nine months goes by and here comes the baby and you're in a manger in Bethlehem. You're not even at home. I'm going to start thinking I hallucinated all of this. I made all this up. I'm deranged. I probably have a demon. But an angel shows up to some shepherds and tells them, hey, don't be afraid. I've got really good news. Unto you has been born a savior, the son of God. Go and see He's in a manger in a, in a stable in Bethlehem and they run to Bethlehem and they search and they search until they find him. And with these shepherds, I think it all happened at once. There are these three wise men that have followed the signs in the heavens to find this infant. And all of them start, hey, how did you hear? Well, I heard because we were paying attention to the stars in the sky and we figured out that there was a king born in the city of David. And so we've come to see him. And the shepherds go, well, we heard because an angel showed up and literally with a voice and, and with our eyes told us. We heard and we saw there was a son born. A child was given, a savior. And Mary's already probably been weeping because it's not fun to give birth now. I can't imagine 2,000 years ago in the cold, in a stable, what that was like for her. And this great assurance for her heart shows up in the form of these shepherds. Now, I was never in a nativity play because we didn't like go to church when I was young enough to do those. But I've seen a few of them. And correct me if I'm wrong, those of you who are like, you came up in church. The wise men get a speaking part. Joseph gets a speaking part. Mary most certainly gets a speaking part. 
And there's, you know, whoever's playing the lamb probably at least gets to bad. Whoever's playing the ox at least gets to low. The little drummer boy who's nowhere in scripture probably has a speaking part, but the shepherds just stand there. Right? So if you get the part of the shepherds, you don't have to do, you just stand there and they nativity play. Not so in the Bible. They show up and are vital to encouraging Mary's heart. Look at what it says. Verse 19, Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. I think these men may have had the biggest speaking part of all because what they heard from the angel of the Lord, they made known. And come on, look right at me. This changed their lives, right? So they get back to the business of shepherding and tell their shepherd buddies about it. And those guys tell friends and family about it. And by the time Jesus is being circumcised, the word is out that this amazing, miraculous thing had happened. And there would be those people who would refuse to believe and there would be those people who would believe. But I have no doubt in my mind that the shepherds played an integral part in spreading the word because there's something that happens to you when you meet Jesus. When you meet Jesus, it changes your life. When Peter met Jesus, he got an overwhelming sense of his own sinfulness. And he said, depart from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. When the other disciples met Jesus, they dropped everything and followed him. When Mary Magdalene met Jesus, several demons go out of her and she is later, years later, found weeping at the cross as the Savior hung and died. When Jesus met Peter again on the shore after he had denied him, And Jesus tells Peter, listen, if you love me, tend my sheep. If you love me, feed my flock. If you love me, tend my lambs. Acts 2, Peter preaches a sermon. I'll never touch. I I will never preach and 3,000 people get saved. It's not going to happen. But something happens to you when you meet Jesus. It changes your life. changes everything about you. It makes you from what you were to what you are. takes out the heart of stone, puts in a heart of flesh. takes out the desire only for sin and self and adds in this desire to pursue and glorify God. It changes you and you can't help but tell people about it. Thank God. He makes Jesus known to meth heads and prostitutes and fornicators and drunks and arrogant religious Pharisees named Saul or James Tyler. Thanks, thank God that he makes Jesus known to robbers, to dens of thieves and drug addicts and cheats and tax collectors and insurance salesmen and government contractors and musicians and housewives and criminals and cops and politicians and doctors and lawyers and peasants and kings and pastors and parishioners. Thank God he makes his son known. Because when you meet Jesus, you want everyone else to meet him too. You can't help but tell people. So let me just say that maybe the reason it's so hard for you to tell people about Jesus, it's look, it's worth entertaining the possibility that the reason it's so hard for you to tell people is because you haven't met him. I mean, you've heard of him. We live in that culture, right, where 
I could I could go I could go on Facebook right now. I mean I couldn't, but I could use my wife's account and go on Facebook right now and I could find I bet you I could find my guitar teacher from twenty five years ago on there. Gosh, it's been longer than that. Um and I bet I could figure out who his dad is. I don't know. I've never met the man's dad. But I bet I could find his dad's Facebook account or his mom's and then by virtue of hers learn about how many kids they have, who their pets are, what did he do for a living, what did he do this summer, where'd you go? Did you go on vacation? What are his hobbies? Do you like to fish? Do you like to hunt? Do you play music? I could probably find out how many times he's been married. I bet I could find out how many grandkids he has and which one's his favorite, right? But I don't know the man. I've never met him. And the church is full of people who know so many things about Jesus, but they don't know him. And the reason it's so hard for us to talk about him and tell people about him is because we haven't met him. But he was born unto us in a lowly stable, laid in a manger in swaddling cloths. And he grew up into a man who never hurt anybody's feelings unnecessarily, never lied, never cheated, never stole, never said the wrong thing, never lost his temper, never broke a woman's heart. Perfect son of God. Cleansed the temple twice. Taught the scriptures perfectly. Never stumbled over a word when he was reading. Prayed beautifully in a way that changed everybody that heard it, at least for a moment. Loved everybody. Gave sight to the blind, hearing to the deaf, speech to the mute. Made men who were paralyzed get up and walk. You know, Jesus never met a corpse that stayed that way. And the thanks that he got was ultimately they beat him, they jammed a crown of thorns on his head, they nailed him to a cross, and they mocked him while he died. Who asked him to do something more than all that that he'd already done? The people standing at the foot of the cross. Come down from that cross and we'll believe in you. And he could have done it. Could have called down a legion of angels and saved himself and slaughtered all of his enemies, but he hung there and he died so that you could know him. I hope you'll meet him today, because when you do, you won't be able to help but tell everybody that you've met him. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.